The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Hello and welcome to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Cole Hammock, certified financial planner. With me in the studio today is fellow certified financial planner, Tyler Cook, and certified financial planner, Hopeful. How's that sound? I like it. Jared Luck. How are we doing today, gentlemen? Very good, sir. Is my, is my hologram there? Because I'm, I'm calling in today. I'm in the virtual studio today. Yeah, yeah, I figured that would count enough. Yeah, we have your hologram. You're with us here in heart and memory, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> doing well, doing well. Good. How about you, Jared? I'm doing well, too. It, it feels good to be here. It, it was everything you could do not to say doing well as well. Right? Yep. Yeah. did that a couple of days ago. It felt so weird. <laughs> Uh, tonight we're going over financial planning myths, so saddle up because we are in for a ride. Uh, hopefully, though, by the end of this, you'll have some valuable talking points to uh, and information to dispel any of these financial planning myths should they come your way. Uh, this is definitely one of those podcasts worth sending to family and friends because you never know who may believe or maybe fall into one of these traps. So to get started today, I figured we'd start with some general financial planning Uh, myths that people may hear, and then we'll get into some more specific content as we go out or go throughout the, uh, throughout the podcast today. Uh, So the first one, and this one's kind of a a, a trifecta, if you will, and that's you don't need a financial plan. Financial planning is only for the wealthy or stop, start financial planning is appropriate. So Tyler, I know you've been doing this one the longest. I'm going to kind of pass this one over to you. What do you think when you hear these talking points? Well, first, I just as you were kind of doing the intro there, I was remembering we've been doing this show for ten years now, which is crazy. So this this fall is our our ten year anniversary of doing this, and we've done shows in the past on on myths and so forth. But I think what keeps it relevant is just the world we live in, and so it's all of the social media networks and things that get posted out there, and, and now you've got people doing things on TikTok and whatever else, and so there's just so many myths that are going around and. If you're not careful, those myths become reality or truths for for a lot of people. So right. again, that's the the goal is to dispel some of those and really just shine some light on uh, what really should be happening. Because I think it's just been more uh, exacerbated and just expanded upon from even when we did previous shows regarding myths. So still relevant, still very relevant. But to your point on a financial plan, you know, with Stephen Lucan, you know, he he'll, he'll always tell people that everybody needs a financial plan whether or not you pay a financial planner to do that or to help you with that is an, an entirely different discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of speaks to this myth here that you don't need a plan. It's, it's, it's completely false. Everybody needs a plan. Uh, whether or not you have a professional help you is a secondary conversation. So I think that uh, it doesn't matter where you are in life. You could be just starting out. In fact, we see this in our own client base. We have kids that are still in college and people that are uh, you know, over 100 years old. So it doesn't matter where you are in life. Having that plan is really the key. So definitely can can eliminate or or, or uh, check that first one off the list. Everybody needs Absolutely. a financial plan. 
Yeah, so to expand on that one a little bit, so just the, the idea of a financial plan, even at the, the base, uh, simplest levels, just as a family, understanding where everything is, right? Uh, so that just the, the organization aspect of everything, what do I have, where is it, uh, just so everybody's on the same page. But then to start thinking about goals, you know, who do I want to be when I grow up, um, and, and actually getting into the planning, so what do I need to save toward, what am I trying to accomplish, that's relevant no matter what stage of life you're in. So everybody needs a plan. So yeah, that, the data gathering part, cool that you mentioned. That's that's the foundation to everything that we're doing. Everything is oh, critical yeah. to the data, and, and and it's we're only as good as the data that we have. So I, I see for a lot of people in, in doing this now for 18 years, helping them get organized just from the start. You know, back when I first started, we actually, it was a bunch of paper stuff, right? <laughs> Even though we were paperless, we took all their paper. It was a simpler all, all, time. People's paper and we organized it. And they had a nice black box that we would do. Now, of course, that's all digitized and, and much more streamlined. But the point being, it was just, okay, where am I right now? What do I have? You know, where are these things located even? That's just, just mm-hmm. step one. And so then from then you can get into the fun stuff on the creative planning. But data gathering is, is the most critical piece of that financial plan. Absolutely. And uh, honestly, one of the more boring pieces, but uh, until you know where everything is and what's going on, you can't get into the other pieces. So definitely crucial. Uh, So Jared, thinking financial planning only for the wealthy. What do you have to say about that one? Yeah, I just I know from even people we work with and then just talking to to people out in the world, um, you know, so many different people want or need a financial plan, as we said. And, and it's honestly something I'm pretty passionate about is extending the reach of, of making sure that, you know, it's known that not only the wealthy need a financial plan. There are so many people out there, I think, that if they just, you know, got some of the education that comes with, you know, we, we pride ourselves on client education, uh, they'd be able to, you know, get a, get a hold on their finances and at least put something simple in place, as, even if it's as simple as knowing where money goes, knowing how much you have left at the end of the month, and, and knowing where to put that. And I, I think that... That obviously doesn't discriminate against anybody uh, knowing those things. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, to that point, just thinking most everybody working for a W-2 position, you're probably going to have some sort of retirement plan. Mm-hmm. So even just understanding what that is, what that means, how that works, I mean, that, that's so important regardless of what stage of life you're in, what your income level is. So it really does come down to that education mm-hmm. aspect, like you said. Uh so the next one on the list here is stop, start, financial planning is appropriate. And Tyler, you said this kind of getting into things is life changes, right? Yeah. Uh, there's no one season to life. There's no once you start, nothing's going to change because people get married, people have kids, people buy a house, retirement, and any little thing along the way to start and say, well, whatever we do today is going to be sufficient for the rest of my life is a big mistake i'm sure tyler you've yeah i, I can yeah, i get on the soapbox on this yep. one quite a bit actually a lot of these <laughs> I, I probably will that we'll talk about but this one in particular because it, it just promotes inconsistency uh it doesn't promote comprehensive planning it mm-hmm. promotes urgency right versus being proactive and you know you know plan your work work your plan type thing that that's stops our planning is the opposite it's it's when you need something versus a continual relationship throughout the year, proactive ideas. You know, this fourth quarter is going to be big with potential tax tax changes for next year. So, doing what we can this year to to set ourselves up for a good spot for next year, you don't you don't get that if you're doing stop start planning. Your next you know, discussion is not until you know first of the year. So, you've got to 
promote that continuous communication, ongoing communication. And if it's just kind of ad hoc or even if people in our industry charge hourly as well, and I'm, you can do whatever you want, but I, I just I disagree with that approach. If you're truly comprehensive, you know, you're setting time limits on how much you're going to spend on a, on a, on a certain scenario. I just don't think that does the right thing for the client. I, I think that's a great point. And that made me think of a scenario I saw uh, a couple of years back, an individual, uh, they're starting a business and showing a lot of losses in the business. And uh, the income for the year was very much negative. So when you're in that scenario, if you're just kind of in that stop start and not really thinking about planning opportunities, well, you just let that year pass, move on to the next. But when you have no income, a lot of opportunities really present themselves that, again, if you're not actively planning or looking into the future, you're going to miss out on those. So whether it's something like a Roth conversion that I'm sure we've talked about on the show or uh, realizing income from other sources, it's a great, uh, great opportunity, really. So uh, getting into the next one, just briefly before we come to break here, is financial planning and investment management is the same thing. And Tyler, I, I think I can say with full confidence, I, I made you very mad by saying that. So I'm going to let you kind of stir on that anger before we shift into break here. So you've been yeah, listening. Yeah, the second soapbox, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. All right. Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Cole Hammock. And before break, I brought up a, a very controversial point for, for financial planners. And that's financial planning and investment management is the same thing. Uh, so, Tyler, again, I'm, I'm going to lean on you a lot today. Just like you said, 18 years in the business, you've heard these time and time again. What does this one mean to you, and why does it hurt your heart so much? Yeah, it's, it's kind of the core to why I wanted to become a financial planner. Uh, I think the problem today is that a lot of people, even in the industry, even financial planners themselves, or people that call themselves financial planners, don't really understand this distinction. Um, you see it at conferences we go to, a lot of different things, a lot of different ways that I hear these things, and it makes me cringe. And the, and the reason why is, you know, the job of a financial planner is to be the coach of the team. That's the best way to sum it up. You're okay. the coach of the team, right? The owner of the team is the client. And so job as coach is to work for the client with all the different players that are on that team and the investment manager is a player on the team, right? They're not the same role. So the only way to have truly unbiased, comprehensive advice, in my opinion, is to have that dynamic where you have a coach, the only financial planner like us, overseeing one of the players, which would be the investment managers. And so the reason why is that investment manager is they're in their own lane. They're the expert. Yeah. Right? A financial planner is the coach, the generalist. Uh, you know, it's they're, they're, they're making sure that that person is doing their job on the team. And oftentimes what we find out, and I say this in most, in most cases, when somebody already has an investment manager on the team, uh, they're not communicating with anybody else. They're not talking to the insurance agents, the accountants, the attorneys, anybody else that's on the plan. And that's our job is to coordinate all of that aspects of somebody's life. So when I hear, or when, even in the public, right, you walk out and somebody, hey, Cole, what do you do? You tell them you're a financial planner. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing they want to talk about? 
Oh, well, how should I invest my 401k? <laughs> what do you think about Bitcoin? <laughs> right. right, exactly. Yep. That's the common <laughs> that's the common discussion points these days. But that and that's what drives me nuts because that that's our dream as a as a company and our mission, right? Is to be the standard by which financial planning is measured and and you do that by rewiring people's mindsets on what it actually means to be a financial planner or in this case what financial planning is versus strictly investment management. But here's the problem, and this is why it hasn't changed. It's because of our regulators. And the mm -hmm. way that we're regulated, we all get grouped into one category. And it's with the brokers and it's with everybody else who's doing just investments. There's no standalone regulatory industry strictly for comprehensive financial planners. And until that changes, it's going to be swimming upstream. But we're not stopping. You know, we're, we're, we, John's been doing this for a long, long time. But this next generation of, of people that we have on our team, we're just getting going. So it's really oh, yeah. the top of our minds every day. To, to really expose this myth, because that's the biggest myth I think we're going to talk about today. But financial planning is comprehensive, right? It's not just investments. Absolutely. And I think one of the, the, the most important things that you said in there that's always stuck with me is that, that we're the generalists, right? As the financial planners, we know a lot about a lot of things, but we're not specialists in any one thing. So we can talk intelligently, we can get you going in the right direction. But when it's something like an estate plan, I want to make sure we, we as the coach, we're working with that estate plan attorney. Or we as the coach are working with an accountant to work on your taxes, and we're not doing those personally so that you are working with the best. And that's a very yep. important distinction to make. I like that. Well, that's another soapbox, Cole. Well, you said that because there's a lot of financial <laughs> planners who are offering tax prep services. That also yep. drives me nuts. Yep. I, it, it drives me nuts because it, it creates another conflict of interest, right? So, uh, again, dispelling these myths today, uh, this is one I could talk about all day, but uh, hopefully – <laughs> I uh, hit some good points there. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there anything to, to add to that, Jared? Uh, what you've seen? No, not really. I think I think you guys covered it, and I just I really like that there's the comprehensive aspect to financial planning because we are able to cover so many different topics. For sure, for sure. Well, then, Jared, I'll let you take this one because I think we'll shift into taxes a little bit, and well, that's getting a large refund. Everybody gets excited about that one. You, you finally. Uh, make it to February or March or April. You file your, file your taxes. You see five figures back. Mm -hmm. well, what does that mean? You're going on a trip and you should be happy? Or I mean, it, it definitely would feel good to get a couple thousand dollars back, but you got to remember at the same time that that's your money. I mean, it, throughout the year, as you, uh, your company or you withhold taxes, they're po they're over withholding if you have a refund at the end of the year. That could be money in your pocket each paycheck. And that's something that if you have a CPA, you want to discuss that with them. But um, I think the biggest thing to remember is that that's an interest-free loan that you're making to the government every okay. year if you're carrying that, uh, if you're getting that refund year after year after year. And if you can be responsible and save, you're going to want to possibly look to uh, adjust your withholdings, and that money can be in your pocket, and you can put that to use throughout the year. That's an excellent point. So the, the interest-free loan to the government, I mean, that's probably the, the best sell selling point on that. Because that money could be working for you, whether that's even just sitting in something like an Ally Bank account earning half a percent. That's more than zero going to the government or sure is. reinvesting that money. It's going to give you a lot more flexibility in the long run. Mm -hmm. Great point. There's another one here. The other part of that, too, is I've, yeah, I've heard somebody try to uh, contradict the myth on this one in the past. And it's and it was uh, it was either a electric car credit. I can't try to remember the scenario. They bought an electric car, which qualified for a tax credit. Or it was solar panels, something like that, that qualified for a tax credit. So they said, oh, hey, I got all this money back because 
of this tax credit. You know, I bought this car or installed these solar panels. And I said, that's great that the credit is what created your refund, but what you really should have done is then reduced your estimated taxes or your other withholdings throughout the year if you knew you were going to get that credit. Absolutely. In your case, Jared, to avoid that interest-free loan to Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just kind of planning, on... right? Planning. For sure. And kind of on that point, too, just kind of thinking about uh, saving taxes for the sake of saving taxes. I mean, thinking about mortgages nowadays, people thinking, oh, well, I can write off my mortgage interest. I mean, you're still paying a dollar out in after-tax dollars to save 12, 22, 24%, whatever it may be in taxes. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't make sense in a lot of cases. So that's to say that you have to be, be smart about those deductions. You're still out of pocket every uh, $1 per dollar that, you, uh, uh, that, that you're out, right? Uh, it's just what you actually save. Yep. Yep. Uh, so another one here, it's better not <laughs> to make more money because you'll pay more in taxes. And, <laughs> yep, you're laughing. You get it. Um, and I, I hear this one a lot from retirees because they're concerned that they shift into retirement. They kind of want to keep things simple, and they're afraid to run up the, the tax bill, uh, even if that means taking on more income. But reality is you have more income, right? The income coming in is enough to offset the taxes. So maybe you're paying 22 24 32%, like I was saying earlier, but you, you still come out ahead. So at the end of the day, more income for the sake of more income is not a bad thing. You just have to be aware of what that means to the tax picture and uh, settle up accordingly. I think it's important to remember, too, with the with the tax rates as well, that even mm-hmm. as you're making more income, the first, what is it, about $10,000 is taxed at 10%, then it goes up to twelve, then it goes to twenty two. If you're in the 22% tax bracket, you're not not every dollar is getting taxed Great at 22%. Point. It's only every dollar above the 12% tax bracket and so on and so forth. So I, th- I think that people need to either keep that in mind or remember that because it's it's even as simple as turning down a raise because they think they're going to go into another tax bracket. <laughs> Never do that. Yeah. Uh, honestly, that's a great point, too, and a myth that we didn't have on the list, right? Once you're in that tax bracket, everything's taxed at that. Mm-hmm. But the U.S. is a progressive tax system, so it's, like like you said, uh, so for singles, it's up to 10, joint, it's up to 20,000, it's taxed at that 10%, mm-hmm. and 12% percent up to 40, single, 80, uh, joint, so on and so forth. So it's at no point are you going to pay everything at 24% or whatever it may be. Exactly. So we have a, a few seconds here. Uh, we'll start talking about businesses as we come up on our next segment. But um, I think one more I want to leave off with is a house is an investment. I see Jared shaking his head. I'm sure Tyler's pulling out his hair. So I think that'll be the perfect point to end on here. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy. This is your host, Cole Hammock. For those just joining us, I'm joined today by fellow certified financial planner, Tyler Cook, and Jared Locke is with us here as well. And if you would like to learn a little bit more about Managing to Be Wealthy and John E. Sestine and Company, you can contact us at 614-326-3077 or visit us on the web at managingtobewealthy.com. If you'd like a complimentary consultation with one of our planners, we'll ask that you fill out a brief questionnaire set up a time to meet with you, and go from there. So before we shifted into the last break, we were talking about taxes. 
we had teased houses being an investment, but there's one more point I want to bring up kind of on the tax front, and that's expensing is a loophole. So I think that's kind of one of the big talking points right now with the, uh, the, the tax proposals trying to eliminate some things when and where possible. But, Jared, what do you think about that one? Yeah, I don't think it's really considered a loophole. I mean, when you're running a business, you're going to have expenses come in. And as a business owner, you're providing some kind of good or service to people. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of what you get to do as that business owner is whenever you have expenses come in, taking those and reducing your income with that. It's, it's just kind of what goes with being a business owner, I guess. I, I think part of what I'm hearing there is something that's intentional in the tax code that, that you're doing so you're only paying taxes on your profit mm -hmm. right not just the revenue aspect of it via expenses uh isn't a loophole that's intentional it's just what you're supposed to do <laughs> <laughs> there's no such thing as a tax loophole it's part of the code exactly <laughs> yeah yep so this is very much one of those so if anyone's saying whatever you're doing in your business it's a loophole no now, as long as you know you're working with an accountant, you're using the correct deductions or expenses, then everything's well within the, uh, within the tax code there. So we'll get into the next one, what I teased. A house is an investment. And Tyler, once again, I'm going to you on this one. What do you think about that? Yeah, talk about this one all day as well. I think uh, having built a house a couple of years ago, uh, two years ago, actually, almost to the day. Uh, very, very relevant on this conversation. So I heard John Sestina talk about it forever. Oh, yeah. And back years ago, he ran an analysis, you know, and, and had a debate with somebody about this to say, okay, is a house really an investment? And so what they did was uh, looked at a house value purchase, buying a house, right? And then, of course, your, your monthly costs you have associated with the house, and then compared that to if you just rented and all the other expenses that come with the home, mainly the maintenance, property taxes, all the other stuff, if you just invested that difference and would you come out ahead in the end versus investing in the stock market, right? And long mm -hmm. story short, the analysis showed that you would have better off investing over that 10, 20 year period when they ran the analysis uh, versus just buying a home and treating it as an investment. But here's the problem. Again, everything around the home buying experience is phrased as an investment or it's the biggest investment you're going to make, right. that type of stuff. That's a bunch of BS, right? <laughs> the, the house is an expense, 100% an expense. Yeah. And you have to really sit down and look at it because uh, I hear all the time, well, I bought the house. I'll just use an example here. I bought the house for, for 350000 and now I can sell it in today's market for 500000 Okay, that's great. But first of all, how many years ago did you buy it? Mm -hmm. And what were all your expenses and costs along the way? And if you actually sat down, did the math, and kind of did that example I said earlier – you'd realize that it's not truly an investment. And the reason why it's not an investment is because it's, it's an expense, right? It's, it's a money out the door. It's not going towards increasing your value. For example, Cole, let's say you buy a house and you go in there and you want to remodel the kitchen and you yep. spend 20 grand on the kitchen, which is actually not a lot these days, believe it or not, for a kitchen remodel. Yeah, I need my granite countertops, though. all of a sudden though. you get to add 20 grand to the value of the house? Uh, absolutely not. Uh-uh. Yeah, it's all about what the what the market is going to pay, right? What a buyer yeah. is willing to pay you. So um, I could talk about this one all day too, but just having built a house a few years ago and previously having rented um, a condo, you know, it's a very different dynamic. And uh, was just out back yesterday, and guess what? Had my yard aer aerated, and uh, they hit one of the irrigation lines. So now I get Ooh. that expense. 
Do you think that it, is that am I reinvesting in my home by fixing my irrigation? <laughs> is that a dividend payment, <laughs> or is that just money out the door? Yeah, that, that one's going to hurt. Yeah. So all that to say, we are not anti-home ownership, not mm-hmm. one bit. Right? I'd be. I mean, look at me. I just said I just bought a house, right? Yeah. Built a house. It's the American dream. The point is, you have to recognize. Yeah, well, it's the American nightmare, as John calls it. But <laughs> you have to recognize what you're getting into, right? You really yeah. have to understand what you're taking on. Do not think of it as an investment. Now, that's that's separate from, let's say, you're in the rental world, right? You're in the your landlord. That's totally different. That's your business. Mm-hmm. That can be thought of as a different type of an, of an investment. Uh, and again, the primary residence that you live in. That's what we're talking about. That house you live in. And when the water heater breaks, right, that's not an investment. Yeah, and I think to add on to that, too, uh, unlike your, your traditional investments, thinking the stock market, buying a house is one of the most emotional decisions most people make. I'm sure, Tyler, as you're going through the home building process, um, emotion probably drove a lot of that conversation or even just what sort of light fixtures you should have in there, right? Oh, it's, it's draining. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's not just the, oh, well, this is what it looks like on paper. Now, there's a lot of emotion tied to it. Like the, the kids grew up in the house. So it's not as simple as, oh, well, the value's up X. If you're not going to move out right. of the house, you're going to live there forever. It doesn't matter what the value changed to or what the value is. It's your home, and, and that's kind of how you should treat it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I remember working with somebody back in 2008 when you know the bottom fell out on the real estate housing market. And they had bought a house right after graduating from med school and thought, you know, we'll live here for years before I kind of get my permanent residency figured out and where I'm going to be and, and operate. And uh, this was outside of Detroit uh, in, in mm-hmm. one of the suburbs. And they bought a house. And then I got a job down. I think it was in Kentucky, if I remember correctly. And uh, when they had to go sell the house, guess what? It was 2009, early 2009. Mm-hmm. And they, they were underwater, right? The mortgage was more than the value of the home. So they had to bring a check to closing to get out of that. Does that sound like an investment? No. <laughs> no. Nope. Not an investment. It was an expense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So considering just a, or keeping on the same vein of expenses, uh, how about all debt is bad debt? Jared, I see you shaking your head. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think that there's just there's a couple different ways that this could be you know talked about. And part of that being that um, if you're able to you know leverage debt to uh, – whether it's it comes with investing or even when it comes to using debt to get an education. I mean, I mm-hmm. think about my own student loans. It put me in a position where I'm at now. That's money well spent to me. I yeah. mean, you, you have to get a degree to be in certain careers. So I, along the lines of the student loans, I think that that's a good or good debt because yeah. it gets you where you want to be. That, that's a great point. So thinking that the student – In some cases. Yes. <laughs> You mean uh, John's basket weaving? Degree, right? You're one of, I think, the rare examples these days that actually went to school for what their career is in. Right. There's so many, right? There's just, you know, other things, and it's just they've got six figures in student loan debt sitting mm-hmm. there, and they're not using it one piece of their specialization and education towards their career. That one definitely has an asterisk on it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, that's definitely right. Um, and just kind of thinking, too, I mean, the current market scenario, right? Interest rates are super low to a certain degree. Using a mortgage, two and a half, three percent, that's a considerably good debt. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I know John Sestini, he'll talk about his 14 plus percent mortgage back in, what was it, Tyler, the 70s, the 80s? Yeah, late 70s, early 80s, yeah. Yeah. So a very different sort of debt. So 
Not well, all... And debt can be leveraged too within, again, if, you, if real estate's your business, a lot of times debt mm-hmm. leverage is used within real estate. It's actually a very good thing. So not, yeah, not all debt yeah. is bad debt. Bad debt is credit card bills that you don't pay off every month. Oh, that yeah. Type of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Consumer debt's what's ultimately going to kill you. Utilizing leverage uh, intelligently, something that you know you can pay back, that's what's really going to get you ahead. So we're coming up on our final break for the evening. We'll continue this conversation when we come back. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Cole Hammock, and we are into our final segment. So to round out the last one, we were talking about all debt. Really not being bad debt. Depends on how you treat it. It depends on the purpose. But kind of in a similar vein is I can't start investing until all of my debt is paid off. And I'll, I'll lead with this one. And I think you're really shooting yourself in the foot on this. So credit card debt, that's another conversation entirely. That's 18, 20, almost 30% interest rate. But if we're talking about maybe an auto loan, or if we're talking about a mortgage, and you're neglecting saving into a retirement plan until that's paid off, you're missing out on years of compound interest, which can be hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time you ultimately retire. So it's a, a big a big no-no uh, in the industry. What is it? Uh, is it Einstein that said the, the one thing that he doesn't understand is compound interest? Does that sound right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it is, it's a, a difficult concept to grasp, but the idea is, uh, think of it like a snowball, right? So you roll a snowball down a hill, it starts small, but in the cartoons, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's really the idea. So the, the new pot is growing based on whatever that new pot is instead of just what the original balance is. So getting that started early, even if it's just something like $50 a month, is going to put you ahead if you were to wait instead. Yeah, it's like that old question, you know, would you rather have a million bucks now or a penny a day doubled for a month? Right, that whole, that's the compound yeah. interest thing, right? Of course, mm-hmm. you'd take the penny a day doubled when you actually do the numbers. So, um, yeah, that's a great one because I think so many people are focused on debt reduction, which is great. Mm-hmm. Right, big fans of being debt-free, that's all fine and dandy. But the reality is you can divvy things up a little bit. And as you said, Cole, just, just get it started. That's the hardest part, like yeah. going to the gym, right? Once you're in the gym, you're okay, but getting to the gym is the hard part for a lot of people to go work out. So I get that. Same thing. You just got to start, rip the Band-Aid off, and, and get started. Absolutely. Yeah, think of it like uh, planting a tree, right? The, the first best time to do that was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. So there's absolutely no time like the present to get things started there. So that's enough on the investing. Let's transition into the insurances for today. The first one we have on the list is only the breadwinner in a household may need life insurance. Jared, I'm sure you've seen a scenario or two where that's that just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you think about even if it's a, a household where only one of the the spouses works mm-hmm. and the other one stays home to take the take care of the kids. Well, if that person that take care that takes care of the kids has something happen to them, they tragically pass away or something like that, you're going to have to take care of the kids in some way. And if you're bringing or the you're the breadwinner of the family you're probably going to want to, you know, have a life insurance policy in place on, on your spouse so that 
you're able to pay for a nanny or something to make sure your kids grow up and they're still able to be taken care of along the way. Right. So that absolutely being part of it and even just maybe you cut back those hours, Mm -hmm. right? You want to be present for the kids because their mom, their dad, whomever is no longer with us uh, to have that flexibility Mm -hmm. in that life insurance policy. It makes sense. So there's no one size fits all answer. Really, it really comes down to what's what's going on Mm -hmm. within the household, who's providing what and really quantifying that. That's one of the harder parts to do. But it does make that difference in that worst-case scenario. So keeping on the, the vein of life insurance, that's employer life insurance is sufficient. So I'll kind of lead with this one, uh, but that's the idea that you start working for an employer, they offer your group coverage at the group rates, which usually seem appealing, and you just sign up for the most that you possibly can. So maybe it's $500,000, maybe you have a million dollars of coverage, That's only great as long as you're working with that employer. The moment you don't, well, it's very likely that that insurance can go away. I think we talked about this one maybe last week, but some life insurance uh, policies through the employer are portable, meaning you can take those with you, but not all of them are. So if that's the case, and maybe you change employers for whatever reason, that life insurance you have isn't sufficient anymore. Yeah, that's a great point, Cole, too. And I think just in the environment that we're in with, with still doing, dealing with uh, the effects of COVID and supply chain stuff and everything else, it's forced a lot of insurance companies to rethink their their process, their uh, their underwriting process. So I've seen scenarios recently where people can get approved for you know $750,000 of life insurance without a medical exam. Back in the old days, that was uh, – old days like being two years ago. That was unheard of. <laughs> right. Right. That was, that was unheard of. You, could, you couldn't do that. You could only get that through like you're talking about through like an employer plan. But you can actually get private policies now for much higher amounts without medical underwriting, which for anybody that has certain conditions and so forth, that, that could be a really uh, important thing to look at. But I think you hit the nail on the head too. It's, it's a lot of times what the employer provides is nice. You take it, of course, right? It's, it's a nice, mm-hmm. nice uh, perk. But don't stop there, right? Got to go further and don't just fall victim to thinking, oh, it's like right now, open enrollment. I signed up for the same thing I did last year. I'm in a good spot. Yep. No, you need to really revisit it and see if it's still sufficient. Yeah, because in that case, it usually changes every year, even if it's just a small tweak. So being aware of what those changes are, what makes sense for you, especially if there's maybe a change in the household dynamic, uh, it's always good to revisit. So the, the next one, I think this one's fun because a lot of people uh, believe this one. I know some of the others maybe you've heard about, maybe you don't believe it, but uh, this one's pretty popular, and that's you need life insurance for your whole life. Jared, what do you think? There are definitely reasons that you could possibly want to have life insurance your entire life, whether that's you know having the beneficiary be a charity or a church or something at the end of your life, but the mm-hmm. goal with life insurance is to protect against what you haven't saved yet. And as you go through life and you keep saving money and you get to retirement, that need for life insurance is going to consistently decrease throughout time. And that's, I mean, that's good. That means you get to stop paying premiums at some point too. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, So life insurance, generally one of those needs-based policies. So Mm -hmm. it's not like auto insurance or not like health insurance where you need those, Mm -hmm. right? 100% of the time. But life insurance it isn't. That, that's the, the goal of that is to achieve your goals if you've not saved enough to reach those otherwise. So at some point, generally speaking, that need should go away. Yeah, those are some of the best conversations is to be able to sit down and tell somebody, you know what, go ahead and cancel that policy because oh, you I don't need it. it anymore. 
Right, those are fun conversations. Yep, especially if it was one of those whole life policies, kind of what we're talking about here. You get to cash out all of that cash balance they didn't think you'd be able to touch ever. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll come up on one more. I think we can talk about this one to close, and that's I'm young, I don't need an estate plan. And Jared, I'll pick on you one more time. You're the youngest of the group. What does that mean to you, and do you have an estate plan? Yeah, I am uh, in the process of getting mine uh, created. But I, I, one thing I always think about, especially when it comes to um, people my age and maybe a little bit younger in college as well, is at least getting the, the simple stuff in, in place, whether that's a living will, your health care power of attorney, your durable power of attorney. Because young people do stupid stuff, and there's a chance you might become incapacitated at some point. You want your parents or somebody else you trust to be there to be able to make decisions for you because once you hit 18 there's a lot of situations where it doesn't matter if they're your parent they're not going to have access to you or make decisions for you so get get at least some of those in place and and just so your parents don't have to go through that or who, whoever you trust yeah. no that, that that's so important because a lot of people they get hung up on the oh well, if I die, I don't have anything, mm-hmm. right? They're just focused on that aspect of the estate, but there's a lot more to that, a lot more to be aware of. But uh, we're coming up on the end of our show here. So one more time before we go, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about managing to be wealthy and Johnny, Sestina, and company, you can contact us at 614-326-3077 or visit us on the web at managingtobewealthy.com. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening to the show. We'll be back next week with other fun topics in the world of financial planning. You've been listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN.